Let's do this. Boundaries are so kind because they take out all the drama, they take out ego, and they just show other people who you are and what you're about. Your ability to fail is, it's a strength. Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Point. I'm your host, Taylor Burke, and today we have professor, best-selling author, and CEO and founder of Brave Enough. Her TED Talk titled Resilience, The Art of Failing Forward has been viewed by more than 50,000 people. Her writing has been published in both the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA. She's the author of the new book, Brave Boundaries, Strategies to Say No, Stand Strong, Take control of your time. Give it up for Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Hi, Sasha. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. I have completely stalked you over the last couple of days and researched you and watched your TED Talk a million and one times. I love my the mission that I have found out of my own place of burnout. And I think when you love what you do, as long as you have boundaries, you can manage, you can do a lot of different things. Of course. And we're going to get all into burnout and boundaries. But before you started writing your book, you were a doctor. So is that what you got burnt out with or kind of give us the backstory of what got you here today? So in 2013, I had four young kids. On paper, I looked pretty good. I was speaking all over the country. I had a grant. I was working, you know, all these crazy hours. And I thought, okay, this is, I guess, what success is supposed to look like. But the sad thing is I was so isolated as a woman. I had really let go of a lot of my female friendships. And I found myself like not even remembering who I was or what I would do if I had like a day myself. I honestly was contemplating like quitting everything. And those thoughts were so terrifying to me. So I thought I need to get back to some sense of well-being and mental health, physical health. So I really took a year of saying no and learned so much about myself, choose my well-being over being liked as a woman. And at the end of that year, I decided I am so much in a better place, but now I need friends. So I started a very small text group that grew to 12,000 women doctors that I now serve that grew into my company, Brave Enough, where I teach women, specifically women professionals, how to set boundaries and how to make sure that they prioritize their own wellness over being liked and over being you know, popular or over saying yes to their boss and yes to their partner and yes to everybody but themselves. Dr. Sasha, how did you learn that just through experience or how did you change your mindset? You know, honestly, I had to change it because I was so depressed and sad and over-functioning and lonely that I started having such negative, unhealthy thoughts about myself. And I started asking myself, like, what is the gift I could give to myself? And honestly, this is how it started. 30 minutes alone by myself every morning. And that 30 minutes alone felt like such a hard thing to give myself. It was hard to sit alone with myself because I realized like how much I'd become this people pleaser and yet I gained clarity and I made a no list because I had no confidence at first to say no. I was like, I don't even know how to say no. (laughs) This is Mm -hmm. embarrassing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the person everybody knows is going to say yes. And that's why everybody asked me to do stuff. So I actually erased the whiteboard that I had in my office that had all my to-do lists and tasks. And I wrote a no list. And every time somebody would ask me to do something that I didn't like want to do or that I was not paid to do, I said no. 
And it started gaining my confidence to see like, oh my gosh, look at this list. Last year, I would have done all these things. No wonder I weigh, I'm 30 pounds overweight. No wonder I haven't been on a date with my husband in years. No wonder I feel chronically tired and I'm constantly exhausted and I have no energy. Because look at all these things that I'm doing that I either don't want to do or I don't get paid to do. (laughs) I just simply do to please someone else. I just have to go back real quick. You said you sat alone with yourself for 30 minutes every morning. Was this without like technology, without a book, like literally just sitting in your thoughts and just like letting your mind wander? It was. And Taylor, it was so sad at the beginning. I'm going to be honest, would say and hear myself saying like, I just wish I had an hour to myself. But the truth was, I didn't want an hour to myself because when I sat with myself, the reality of where I had let myself and what I had become was devastating to me. And I felt so helpless. Like, how do I get out of all these responsibilities? How do I even start to create time for me? How do I even know what I want to do with myself? I would just sit at the kitchen table for probably the first month and cry for like 30 minutes every morning (laughs) at five in the morning. But then I started walking and then I started like, you know, listening to podcasts and then I started journaling and then I started praying and then I started meditating and it just grew to be like such a special time for myself that now I like, I have to do it. Yeah. It became part of your routine. So this was gosh, nine Mm -hmm. years ago. So you're a completely different person now. You enjoy your time by yourself. And then let's also talk about your TED talk because you became a professional speaker speaking to other women about exactly what you went through. Yeah. So it was not a a one month, six week challenge that I just fixed myself. Um, It has been a journey and I have definitely had ups and downs. And I will say this in 2013, I burned out because I was overcommitted to things I didn't want to do. In 2020, I burned out again, but it was doing overdoing things I wanted to do. Mm. And that is what I have now learned and why I wrote my book, Brave Boundaries, because I always thought boundaries were like something you put around toxicity, but boundaries actually keep the good in and they keep the good in check because anything in your life can become toxic if you let it get out of control. And that was like mind blowing to me because I'm like, here I am teaching women how to overcome burnout and overcome failure and give themselves time. And then in 2020, when the pandemic hit and I was serving all these women doctors and trying to make sure they were all well, I found myself burned out again. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've worked so hard. This is actually embarrassing. But then it was realizing that something really good in your life, whether it's your kids, whether it's your job, whether it's your mission, whether it's your side hustle that has turned into your passion, whether it's your partner, all of those things can be toxic, actually, if you don't have healthy boundaries around them. You mentioned something really interesting. You said you can still get burnt out, but still love what you're doing. So like, what were the differences between being burnt out and being like so done and over it, but being burnt out, but still having that passion, but just needing a break? Mm -hmm. Great question. You phrased that really well. So in 2013, I was just having the shiny, yes, shiny syndrome where I was like, oh, I'm a woman in my profession and I got to work harder than all these men. And if somebody asked me to do something, I should feel so appreciative. Even if I don't love it or I'm not getting paid, I'm going to say yes. Where in 2020, I would say 95% of the things I get asked to do, I actually want to do. I love it. It's in my wheelhouse. It's speaking. It's helping. It's coaching. And this is what's dangerous. It feeds your ego. 
because when you get burned out from helping other people, you start developing this like martyr syndrome and women are like totally applauding you. Every society is applauding you. Oh, you're helping so many people. You're doing so much good. And I was like, I don't know how to turn off that. Like, I don't know how to say no to that. Like I now say no to things I don't want to do really easily. Anything I don't get paid to do, I say no to, you know, things that aren't in my job description, someone else's job. But I didn't realize like the insight and self-awareness to say, I can't do that simply because I will not be healthy if I do all of those things, if I help all of these people. So you know, it's having the self-awareness that you cannot help every person, that you are a human, that you have a limit, that you need to sleep as much as the next human. You know, I used to think like, I can just sleep less than other people and I don't get sick. And I used to kind of almost brag about that. And now I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Like, that was so arrogant. I'm talking like I'm helping people, but it's a very arrogant, egotistical place to be when you think you're the only person who can do this. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the topic that you talk about a lot, perfectionism and how perfectionism and burnout kind of goes hand in hand. Yes. So oftentimes we find ourselves over-functioning, over-committed because we truly believe that we are the only people that can do this job perfectly. Or we work so hard to perfect something instead of pushing out content or giving our talents and gifts at like our capacity or 80%, I say. We are like, oh no, we have to give 110%. You know, it's like, we just have this. And really women are so much harder on ourselves than men. You know, men will like put out something at 60% and applaud themselves. <laughs> We're like, it has to be like 125% before we even think about doing that. Yeah. And so I think like releasing that is so important because that's how you stay well. Yeah. I feel like also we want others to perceive us as perfect. I know I have that problem mm -hmm. also. I want people to think that I have it all together and I'm not stressed and I want to do all these things when really I have to learn to delegate and ask people for help. Do you ever feel that? that women also are afraid to ask for help? Oh, absolutely. And it's not, you know, I don't want any woman listening to be harder on herself after listening to this <laughs> and being like taking a list of all the things that we do wrong. We have to realize that society has an expectation of us to say yes and an expectation of us to over deliver and not to ask for help, mm -hmm. to be able to do it all. And we see that. We see that on Instagram. We see that on the news. We see that in media. We see that in movies. You know, you have to have, you have to look perfect and make sure you're getting in your workout every day and, you know, fit into the jeans you wore in high school and have the four children and have all the degrees and bake the cookies and all these things. That is just not reality. It's not even sustainable. And yet it's something that we're all conditioned to expect ourselves to be able to obtain. Totally. In your TED Talk, you talk about how being vulnerable in your professional and personal failures helps you become more resilient. So this is really so important. I think more than anything else you will hear me say is your ability to fail is it's a strength. And our ability to fail is really dependent on our ability to share our failure and be transparent and vulnerable about our failure with other people. We often think that if we hide our failures, somehow we're going to, people will see us as stronger or better. But we, we know from leadership data is actually sharing your failure is one of the most positive behaviors you can do because it helps elevate your peers and how they look at you. Trust, it creates trust amongst people and it allows you to learn from your failures. So 
it's so opposite of what we think. Like we think like, oh my gosh, I'm so ashamed. You know, people are going to criticize me. They're never not going to trust me. But actually people trust leaders and colleagues and partners who share their failures more than they trust people who hide them. And we are all human. And I think we have to start looking at failure as just data collection. It's just a dot on a graph that you can look back and go, okay, that sucked. <laughs> like I just fell flat on my face in whatever I was trying to attempt to do. But what can I learn from that? And what strength can I get to stand back up and try again? I love how you said that us talking about our failures allows people to relate to us more. Yes. And, you know, if you think about people that you admire, it's probably not the perfect who's had a perfect life or the person who's had a perfect life or who puts out a perfect image. I mean, I don't know about you, but those people actually trigger me. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't make me feel better about myself. It's the people that are real and authentic and that show the side of themselves of struggle. I am so attracted to those people because I'm like, those people are the real deal. Like they're not going to feed me a line. They're going to show up as fully themselves and they inspire me. And I think we have to just recognize that we need to do that as women. We need to create, uh, you know, imperfections is okay as women. It's okay to show our imperfections and our failures. That's how we connect with others. And that's how we open the door for more deeper connections. And that makes me even think too, that's why everyone loves an underdog, right? Everyone always roots for the underdog, the person that doesn't seem like they're going to pull out or succeed. We root for those types of people over the people that, you know, have the perfect life. We do. And, you know, we also like really have to understand that most people are attracted to authenticity. So the more authentic you can be, the more people are going to follow you, which is really important if you're leading an organization or you're you're leading yourself. And I always say we're all leaders, you know, we lead ourselves, even if we're just the leader of one. But authenticity is so anti our culture right now. Like it's put out the picture with, you know, the best filter and take 7,000 pictures and post the best one, you know? <laughs> and I've actually like posted pictures of myself and literally had people DM me and say like, oh, you should stand this way or you should pose this way or you'll look skinnier if you do this. And I'm like, um, I am a doctor with four kids running an organization. I'm not a Instagram model, but thanks. That's so <laughs> like, weird. Thank yeah. you for feeling like you need to tell me that. <laughs> I cannot believe that. But it just shows you that like people think that's actually being kind and helpful to look more perfect. And I'm like, no, actually, I think people connect with me because I am imperfect. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Right. Any advice that you have right now that someone is going through a failure or going through burnout? I think it's important to recognize that a lot of times we burn out because we have failed and we may be over-functioning to make up for that failure. And we have really a lot of self-criticism or self-shame that we're over-functioning. I did that. I had a really bad negative outcome early in my career. And I felt like maybe if I work like harder than everybody else, nobody will ever remember that. And I'll like make up for that bad outcome. So it's important that we kind of connect failure with burnout there. If you're listening and you're like, man, this is me. I'm exhausted. I have no emotional energy. I don't want to connect with people. I'm isolating myself. First of all, give yourself grace and compassion because having self-compassion is so much more powerful than having self-criticism. You're more likely to change your behavior if, you're, if you show your self-compassion. 
And then you have to do what you don't want to do, which is reach out. So ask another friend, a woman, a coworker to have coffee or just say, hey, can I talk to you about how I'm feeling? Because you will be amazed that they probably have been feeling that way lately or they have gone through that and they are going to give you tips or encouragement or just a listening ear and affirm everything you're feeling. And then the next thing I would do is I would say, first, give yourself grace, then give yourself faith. Give yourself 30 minutes a day. I mean, most of us don't, and that's only 2% of our day. So just give yourself a little bit of time every day and your problems are not going to be solved in 30 minutes, but you're going to start having self-awareness and clarity about what you need to let go of and what you need to stop doing, which is actually more important than what you need to start doing. I love that. I don't mean to put you on the spot, Dr. Sasha, but is there a time that you can tell us a story where you failed or made a mistake? Did you miss Iconic 22? Feeling some FOMO? Don't worry. Catch up on all the amazing and inspiring talks from speakers like Venus Williams, Tabitha Coffee, and more with Iconic On Demand. Head over to iconic.vagaro.com to start watching. Then get pumped to join us at next year's Iconic Conference. Yeah, I would say, you know, early in my career, I worked really hard for five years to get an NIH grant. And I finally got the grant and I was so excited. I thought, oh my gosh, this is like going to launch my career and I'm going to just be this awesome researcher. And nothing went like I thought. And it was like mini failure after mini failure after mini failure. And many people actually have even said to me like, oh, how did you get over your research failure? I was really ashamed for many years. But now I'm so thankful for that experience because number one, it taught me that I didn't actually love clinical research. I thought I did. Thank goodness I failed at it because I'm so much better of a speaker and a podcaster and leading women and touching all these people that I'm helping. And I'm like, that was probably the biggest life lesson I've ever had was in failing at that. And you know, like I've had success, I've written books, I've had all these great things. Success is good, but it doesn't, hasn't taught me 1% of what I learned from that failure and learning how to pick myself up and show up every day, even when I didn't feel supported and ask for help and admit my failures and be transparent about them. Yeah. It sounds like when we're speaking of failures, it actually is just lessons. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Sasha, you recently wrote a book and the book is called Brave Boundaries. And you wrote this particularly for women who may think or were taught that saying yes to yourself is selfish. Boundaries can be sticky when it comes to family, friends, parenting, and coworkers. Let's start with why did you write this book? I wrote this book because despite having like 30 years of education and all these certifications and leadership courses, no one ever taught me about boundaries. And I did not recognize until I burned out again in 2020 that boundaries don't just keep bad out, they keep the good in. And if you have good things in your life, they have the potential to become toxic if you don't have boundaries around them. So I started researching this and I realized like there are no books for women on how to set like work boundaries or boundaries with your cell phone or boundaries with email or boundaries with your boss. 
And so I thought, I need this, and I'm going to research the heck out of it, and then I'm going to share what I have learned that I have applied to my own life with my community. Let's start there. How can one implement boundaries in work life? You mentioned boss. You mentioned coworkers. Is there some strategies in saying no and setting boundaries that you can share with us today? Yes, especially for entrepreneurs, because as an entrepreneur, you could work 24 hours a day. You could build and launch and strategize 24 hours a day. So they are so important as an entrepreneur because your wellness is at risk. But the first thing that I talk about this in the book is to really take an inventory of your priorities and then look at your calendar. So write down one or three, one to five priorities and then ask yourself, are my priorities clearly evident in my calendar? If it's not, then you're not living your priorities and then you most likely need boundaries to do that. And I take you through really simple strategies on how to identify like the six areas of your life that may need boundaries. Some of us are really good at one boundary, like maybe boundaries with our kids we're really good at or boundaries with our family of origin or boundaries with email, but we have like no boundaries with our phone or social media or text, right? Some of us are really good about having boundaries with coworkers, but then we have no boundaries with our clients. So it just depends on the individual. And I teach you in the book how to identify those pain points. And I bet whatever biggest pain point is in your life, whether it's a person or a project, it probably lacks boundaries. And then something also that you talk about in the book is the difference between kind and restrictive boundaries. You know, I think sometimes we think, oh gosh, I'm going to set a boundary. I'm going to be a mean person, or I'm going to be a bad coworker or a bad boss or a bad parent. And we don't recognize that, you know, Brene Brown says clear is kind. And I love that boundaries are so kind because they take out all the drama. They take out ego and they just show other people very transparently who you are and what you're about. There's no guessing. There's no like, Oh wait, or, you know, am I okay to call this night, but not this night? Like if you just have a boundary that says, I don't take work calls at night, that's pretty clear to everybody. That's actually being kind. It's worse to answer your phone on a Tuesday night, say your coworker calls, you will answer the phone because you're just at home watching Netflix. You don't care. But then the next Tuesday, maybe you're at this really big special event with your child and suddenly the same person calls and asks you a question. And now you're mad at that person. You're like, don't they know that I'm busy? Well, if you have a boundary that says, I don't answer work calls at night unless someone's hemorrhaging and dying, and you stick to that, it's on you. Boundaries make you responsible. We often think they're going to make other people responsible, but they actually hold you responsible to other people. And that's kind. My question to that, though, is how do you let them know in the first place? This is a really good question and it's different for everybody and all work relationships are a little different. However, I teach this to, you know, doctors who have this kind of assumption that they have to be on their phone or available 24 seven and that's not healthy and it's not true. So the first thing I say is a boundary that lives in your head is not a boundary. You have to communicate it. You can't expect other people to know your boundaries. So for example, before I go on vacation, I have a really strict boundary with myself because I used to not have this, that I don't answer email or texts or work calls on vacation. And so a week before I communicate that, I'm like, y'all, I'm going on vacation Friday. 
I will not be answering texts. I will not be answering my phone. I will not be answering email. And at first I thought, oh gosh, this is going to really upset people. And I'm going to look like I'm a bad coworker, bad boss. But actually you open up the door for other people to share your boundaries with you. Like people love it. They're like, oh my gosh, I saw you do that. And now I'm doing that, you know? And the other thing is I have a, like a text response in my, the notes of my iPhone. If I get a text at night on work, I just copy and paste and it says, hey, got your message. We'll respond back in the office tomorrow. Because the problem is, even if you engage for 30 seconds, it's going to hijack your thoughts. You might get angry about it. You might get frustrated about it. And now it's taking energy that you could have been giving yourself for self-care or your partner or your family or your friends. You are a CEO and you are a boss too. When the people underneath you tell you, their boundaries from a boss's perspective. How do you take it? I think you have to have really clear work expectations. And I had, I never had these written down until now I do for every person I employ, like extremely clear work expectations and accountability to check in and check out every day electronically because I, we all work remotely. And I also have very strict respect of their boundaries where I know like, you know, I, I even write it in our Slack. Like, I'm working today. It's Saturday. I know none of you are working. Please do not respond till Monday. Because <laughs> I don't want them to even think that I have that expectation. Mm. You know, I work for someone who answers emails in my hospital job all the time. And he will even say to me, like, I know, I know. I should have your boundaries, <laughs> you know. But what you have to realize is just because someone doesn't have boundaries doesn't mean that you can't have boundaries. You know, he respects my boundaries, even though he doesn't really care about email boundaries. Like to him, he can, he'll answer email at 10 o'clock at night or two in the morning. I'm like, no, no, I don't do that. You also talk about boundary backlash. What is this? And I guess, how do we respond to it in a healthy, productive way? You know, boundary backlash is something that all of us experience when we express a boundary to somebody and they are either angry or shocked or frustrated at us. And most of the time it comes from someone who's benefited from us having no boundaries and it's a change in our relationship. And so if they're surprised by it and it may catch people off guard, most of the time people are only frustrated for just a 20 seconds and then they move on to the next thing. Our narrative may be like, oh my gosh, they're mad at us or, oh, they're really frustrated, but they're not. And you have to realize that people that don't have boundaries are not going to understand yours. They're going to actually be jealous of yours. They're going to be like, wait, why does she say she's not going to this meeting? I didn't know this was optional to not go to a non-paid work meeting at night. You know, so this is the kind of thing that we have to just have open conversations and give grace to one another because you will face backlash, but it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong, especially if you've delivered it in just a matter of fact, no drama, kind, clear manner. I know as women too, we overthink and we let little things maybe bother us the rest of the day that I guess from another perspective, just know that maybe they've already let it go. Completely. Yep. When someone asks for help, we typically say yes. And you say this a lot, if not me, then who mindset. So talk to me about getting used to saying no. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you have kind of 
built this persona that you are a person who says yes, and you show up for other people and you can easily convince yourself, like, I'm the only one that can do this. No one can do it as good as me. I have to do it. If I don't do it, no one else will. If you think of it, you're really lying to yourself about the motivation behind what you're doing. That's actually a very arrogant, egotistical way to go through life thinking that you're the only person that can do X, Y, or Z. And if you can keep doing it, no one else is going to do it. Like, I have a good friend and she was telling me how like her husband has never done laundry in like 20 years. And I'm like, have you asked him to do it? She's like, well, I mean, I just know, but I, you know, he never volunteers. And I'm like, well, why would he ever volunteer to do the laundry if you're doing the laundry every day? Like you have to just stop doing his laundry. She's like, really? I should just stop doing it? I'm like, yeah, just separate it out and put his aside and just tell him you're just going to do yours because that's all you have to do this week. He will figure it out. (laughs) And suddenly he was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing my laundry. And I had no idea. Like, this takes a long time. Like, he was clueless. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, delegating things out. And trusting your team. We kind of have this 80% rule on our team. Like, if someone else has time to do something that you don't have time to do, and they can do it at 80%, let them do it. Even if you could do it 100%, And you could do it, you think perfectly, but they could do it at 80% of the job that you think you could do, but they have the time and the space, let them do it. And that allows you not to get burnt out. Absolutely. Full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Sasha, something else that you talk about is controlling your time. And we have kind of talked about it throughout this podcast, but you do speak about the importance of even an hour. An hour of your time is important. I would say that if you don't have boundaries around your time, and what I mean by that is like an intentional plan every week to sit down. So what I do every Sunday, I sit down with my calendar and I open it up and I look at my week. And I don't look at my week for specifically like what's coming tomorrow, what's coming the next day. But I look at my week and I go, hmm, by Thursday, I'm going to be a hot mess. I don't know why I've overcommitted myself. I have to remove this thing on Tuesday or I have to remove this thing on Wednesday. And what it does is it creates space in your week for things that are going to happen and exhaustion and fatigue or a sick child or a sick parent or a project that goes awry or a snafu in the business. And I think we have to really get intentional with our time management and put boundaries around just blank space on our calendar and keep it blank. I mean, I literally will, I have like, you know, highlighters that I'm like, nothing goes here (laughs) because I know by this time, this point of the week, I'm going to need boundaries around that time to recover, to answer some email, to rest, to take care of myself. It's actually when I get my most creativity. We're going to play a quick little game. I play this on every podcast. It's called Taylor's Would You Rather. So I made you nine Would You Rather questions and you have three seconds to choose one or the other. And I've kind of made them about (laughs) you. So it should be kind of easy. Okay, here we go. Okay. Would you rather have a tattoo of the title of the last book you read or a tattoo of the title of the last TV show you watched? Ooh, book I read. Who would you rather do an audio version of your book? Kate Middleton or Beyonce? Oh, Beyonce. During your TED Talk, would you rather have forgotten a good part of your speech or sneeze every five minutes throughout the speech? 
Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. I would say probably sneeze. <laughs> Either way, you're screwed. Okay. Yes. Would you rather wear sweatpants to an event or not brush your teeth for an event? Oh, I would say not brush my teeth. I would be. I would rather be caught dead in sweatpants in an event. <laughs> I would just smile with my mouth closed. Yes. Would you rather commute two hours to your dream job or commute five minutes to a mediocre job? Two hours. Would you rather travel the world for free for one year or win $50,000, but you must spend it in one day? Oh, $50,000. Would you rather write another book or go on a speaking tour? Probably speaking tour. Okay, last one. Who would you rather have on your podcast? Reese Witherspoon or Elton John? Reese, 100%. Reese. Well, I mean, she has the book club. Love. I know. <laughs> well, Dr. Sasha, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I feel like we touched on so many different topics, but they all related to each other. So I feel like there will be tons of takeaways. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be here. Of course. Have okay. a great day. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our goal is to always give you the content you didn't know you needed to know. And to make sure you're always on point. I'm Taylor Burke. Thank you for listening.